Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another wonderful Marketing Ops Confession session. And we have yet another amazing guest with us today, Rosalind Santa Elena. I'm so excited. Um, hi, Rosalind. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, and I will give Rosalind a formal introduction in just a minute. But first, um, as you know, we always like to go through just a couple housekeeping slides. And this is mostly to encourage you to like use the chat and ask questions and, you know, get engaged because we do not want this to be just like a boring webinar where we talk at you. We want you to actually get value out of this. So if there's something that you are just like, I am having this problem and Rosalind is the perfect person to ask, throw it in the chat, ask the question, put yourself out there. Um, what a great opportunity. This is definitely a safe space as well to ask any of those questions. Um, and as you know, we have been running with a fun lunch incentive. So if you're here today, uh, you'll receive that. Give us a little time. Patience, patience is a virtue and we appreciate it um, and our small, small team. And we'll get those gift cards out to you uh, as soon as we can. All right, so without further ado, I will um, properly introduce our guest today, Rosalind Santa Elena. She is an amazing RevOps leader, also a fellow Women in Revenue member. Um, if you haven't checked out that organization, definitely give it a peek. Um, and Rosalind was previously um, leading RevOps at Clary, and now she's VP of Global RevOps at Neo4j. Um, and she also hosts a really great podcast that I highly recommend called the Revenue Engine Podcast. Um, and I know you've had like a ton of really, really awesome guests on this last season. All right. Well, I, again, I'm super excited to have you here. I know that like you are literally everywhere. So <laughs> I feel honored. To have no. Today. <laughs> no, I'm super happy to be here and really thank thankful for being here too. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. And let me actually just get this down so we can see just our faces. Um, so I'm excited to chat through just kind of like your journey today um, and some of the advice that you have for aspiring RevOps leaders, those in the position already looking to kind of amplify and, um, you know, really grow their team and work with the leadership teams and whatnot. Um, so we'll dive into a few questions if you're ready. Yeah, of course. Happy, happy to okay. do so. So I'd love to hear about, you know, we know that you, you're kind of in a new role today or 30 days in, and I'm excited to hear just like, what's your journey? What was your RevOps journey look like? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we always kind of sometimes find some unique things about individuals <laughs> when we ask this question. So would love for you to share your journey. Into yeah, definitely. Happy to do so. So I actually um, started out really early in my career in finance. Um, which is really interesting. I did a little bit of product marketing too, and I did a little bit of finance. I actually used to run more of a quote to cash, kind of the AR billing, you know, um, invoicing and such. And actually had my first start in operation, more of an operational go-to-market role, actually in sales compensation. So I started out, uh, you know, running commissions, then broadening out to sales, you know, broader sales compensation, broadening into sales ops, and then kind of broadening my scope to be, you know, more what we called field operations back in the day, where it was like marketing and sales. And then as we started getting into more of a SaaS recurring model, then obviously the customer success and kind of post-sales piece of it. So my background the last 
20 years has really been running all different aspects of operations on the go-to-market side. Um, been at a lot of different companies, um, you know, too many companies to count, but a lot of, you know, larger public companies. And then lots of uh, my last few companies have been high growth start startups in the SaaS business, but always in the ops world. So I've run a little bit of finance ops, I've done some product ops, but most of my background is go to market operations. And again, sales comp was my start into the world. And, um, you know, so I have a, uh, definitely a, a special place in my heart for compensation for sales comp, although people always think like, whoa, why? You know, nobody wants to deal with somebody's pay. But I really um, enjoy being part of that kind of that strategic discussion. And so, yeah, I mean, really just all on the op side um, have always uh, never really wanted to be a salesperson per se, but love being involved in anything go to market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love it. And despite what you all may think, Rosalind is not a DJ. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which belongs to her husband. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not available for S booking for SKOs or any events. Um, I've been asked that a couple of times. So love it. Um, well, that's exciting. I always love to hear about people's journeys and, um, and sometimes it gives you a little hint into like, if you weren't doing what you were doing today, yeah. like, what would you do? Obviously. Okay. Not sales. Um, mm -hmm. we covered that, but is there something that like, oh, like I would run marketing or I would, you know, be on this side of the business. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is that I think, especially as you get farther on in your career, you know, you are, nobody starts and goes, oh, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be in operations, you know, necessarily, but you sort of land into this role, which is a really, um, it's really interesting because I think you and I were talking about this a little bit the other day, but just how people come into this role from all different walks of life, right? All different areas it could be finance. You could have come from IT. You could have come from, you know, more of a business operations type of role. You could have been a salesperson, could have been a marketer. And so there's lots of avenues into a RevOps career. Um, but for me, I think if I wasn't doing this, and somebody asked me that yesterday about what would you be doing if you weren't um, doing operations? Like what's next for you? And it's funny because we always talk about opening like, a, so I'm a big milk tea and boba fan. So my dream right now, which is really funny, but my dream is to open a boba shop. And so my daughter and I always talk about this, that we're going to open our own boba shop. But living in the Silicon Valley, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> um, so right now, I mean, it's really, I, I really love what I do. Um, if I wasn't, I guess maybe when I was younger, I used to want to be a teacher, um, you know, love working with kids. So definitely something either with kids, with boba, or with operations. That's pretty much my life. <laughs> I love it. Um, I sadly have never had boba tea. And oh, no. I know, I'm like embarrassed almost. <laughs> oh no, and I'm sure there's people on the call who actually probably don't even know what boba is. And so <laughs> definitely hit me up on LinkedIn, ask me, I will send you information. Um, it's definitely my, uh, my, um, Definitely my curse, but also my love. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my list now. Yes. Um, okay, great. I'm just checking. We have a, dip, a question. Okay, I'm going to wait on that one, but it is a good one. Um, okay, so you're in your new role, Neo4j. Very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so you're 30 days in? I'm actually just hit my 60 day mark. Sorry, 60 mm -hmm. days in, 60 days in. Well, that makes this question even better. Um, yeah. <laughs> so walk us through like, 
in this role and like also just like how you feel about kind of like first 30 and then 60 90 like what does that look like how do you like to kind of structure when you're coming into a new role um and coming into a new organization yeah that's a great question i think um first 30 days for me has just been a lot of well even the 60 days it's gone by so quickly in a lot of cases but i think it a lot of discovery right and what i mean by that is you know a lot of looking under the hood and sort of under the covers and you know you getting your magnifying glass and really understanding what the current state is um, because our role is so cross-functional and we touch pretty much every area of the business so lots of conversations um, you know talking to people obviously in sales and marketing and obviously in customer success and support but also in finance in product in legal in hr right having these conversations and trying to really understand um, what's really happening in the business you know what really is the current state and then you start to sort of identify okay here's the gaps right and then you can you're able to start to build that plan of what you want to accomplish short term and then longer term to start to close some of those gaps um, when I meet with folks, I always ask them, it's like, okay, tell me what's on fire. Tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? And it's funny because I keep saying that now. I've heard people saying that in meetings about <laughs> using that same phrase. But I, you know, I'm big on just really understanding um, what is the current state, what's really happening. You know, tell me, you know, what's working really well and what, you know, definitely can be improved. Um, and then that's sort of where where I start. And so it's been a lot of conversations, a lot of taking notes, a lot of documentation. And then now I can start really building out the plan for, you know, prioritizing and kind of the what's next. Is it ever difficult to, um, like when you're kind of coming in and doing an audit and I, I kind of, I kind of think of this from my agency background and like it was mm -hmm. a little bit easier to do when you were a third party and you were like facilitating something um versus like coming in as like now i own this yeah and, um <laughs> like whoever's whoever's on my team like is it hard to kind of like pull out the most transparent version of that yeah yeah i think um I think that's probably one thing and you know maybe this should have been maybe the field that i went into is more of a therapeutic you know field because i you know i really enjoy talking to people and i notice that people tend to sort of you know open up pretty quickly as we start to have these conversations and i think it's because my approach is very genuine in terms of hey i just want to learn and the nice thing about being new and coming in is that you don't have any history you don't have any baggage there's no context you know you're really coming in and just asking questions and i think um when you talk to people they're a lot more open to sort of sharing what's happening because they know you know as long as they understand your intentions are hey i just want to come in here and learn and really help me help you and that's more of my approach um so i noticed that at first when i have conversations it's kind of the first few minutes you know you're kind of everybody's feeling each other out and they kind of talk to each other and then they're like okay i think i could tell her really the the truth and this like all this information starts to come out but um it's been really it's been really interesting because every company i've started has been like that right you come in you kind of have the same methodology that works for you um and then now it's sort of the 60-day mark is now okay now we're moving into execution and we're starting to make those changes but building those relationships building that foundation starting to build that trust and sort of that credibility is all in that first 30 to 60 days yeah absolutely um, okay, so speaking of relationships, this is a great segue. Um, yeah. 
on your LinkedIn, I actually want to read it because I really like it. <laughs> you say, I enjoy being the chief of staff and the right-hand advisor to the revenue leader. Um, and I love this perspective. I think like we talk a lot about that on marketing ops confessions around like being that strategic partner. And I always like to ask the question of like, what does that mean to you? And how do you develop that relationship? Yeah, yeah, so that's great. So I think to me, that really means um, you know, as the right-hand person, as sort of that chief of staff, you're the eyes and ears, right? You run the day-to-day -day operations, so you're kind of feet on the street. You're running um, what's actually happening in the business. But because you're so close to the people and the, and the data and the processes and kind of understanding the pulse of what's happening, you're like in the best position to help kind of see around the corners, um, identifying the blind spots, right? Bubble up those insights to your leader to really help them make decisions about what where they need to pivot, right? I look at our role as, you know, as that chief of staff is to be the person who is, um, you know, really looking at what's working really well and let's go do, deep dive and do more of that and then pivot on some of those things that aren't working as well, you know, and use your data, use the pulse and understand that. And so, um, I really look at it as sort of that person that is field facing, internally facing across all the different teams. And then you're that person's thought partner, um, you know, that revenue leader, whether it's your CRO or your CEO or your CIO, whoever runs your business um, from a revenue perspective and being that um, thought partner, uh, business partner, kind of the person that you bounce ideas off of, and also the person who can help them sort of take care of the day-to-day -day so they can go focus on more strategic things, second year, third year planning, and focus more on the customer, right? And being out there and doing what they do really well, which is, you know, meeting with the customer, closing deals, and also motivating their team, right? So they can spend time more on the coaching and strategic aspect of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, and what you talk a lot about operational rigor too mm -hmm. when we start thinking about like stakeholder alignment and buy-in and like building these relationships yeah. um can you talk a little bit about like what does that mean and how do you achieve that yeah um i think the two words i probably use the most other than process and data is rigor and alignment all day long you'll hear me talking about this i was actually just telling the team earlier this morning about that it's like it's like a broken record um i talk a lot about alignment um because i think that's one of the key things that revenue operations does right is driving that alignment and buy-in um so when i think about operational rigor um, i talk also about this operating cadence quite a bit and to me um rigor is sort of part of this and what is operating cadence um um, it's literally the rhythm of your revenue process. So if you think about it's, you know, it's the mechanism by which you take your operating strategy and your operating plan, and now you go and execute on, on it. So it's all about the who, what, where, you know, why, when, and how you run your go-to-market. Um, so it's what meetings you have, what reporting you have, sort of what that cadence looks like. Um, and rigor to me is what needs to be happen to start to exercise that muscle and really build that repeatability. Because once you have sort of infrastructure in place, now you need the rigor that says, okay, now I'm going to go practice what I preach. You're going to go get the team to follow in line. So it's literally like this operating cadence. I always think of this drum and people are kind of marching, you know, to the, to the um, operational cadence, but it is, it's rigor to build that muscle build the repeatability, which then obviously will lead to people being accountable and then helping you to actually scale. 
Yeah, I love it. That's those are two um, great concepts that I don't think we talk enough about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I really look at, you know, revenue operations as sort of driving that rigor and that cadence. Mm -hmm. And so and it doesn't have to be operations if you don't have that function, but it's somebody needs to be, you know, coordinating and keeping everybody sort of moving in the same direction. Or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So thinking about like shifting to like, um, you know, op structure. Mm -hmm. um, we get this question a lot and we like to have like poll audience polls and obviously hear from our speakers, but yeah. um, because you're in RevOps, like we usually are hearing this answer from marketing leaders or marketing ops leaders, but from mm -hmm. this RevOps perspective, who do you feel marketing ops should report to? Yeah, so I get asked this question a lot. And also the other question I think probably more often is who should RevOps report into? Yeah, I guess that quite a bit too. Um, and to me, I mean, my answer is pretty, pretty consistent that I really, you know, one for marketing ops, I really view marketing as part of the overall go to market, right? It's part of the overall go to market motion. It's part of the customer journey. Yes, it's early stages. It's, you know, top of the funnel, but it makes but it is part of the overall kind of end to end from top of funnel to, you know, customer to renewals and expansion. Um, it's part of that journey. So it makes most sense to me that if you have a revenue operations function, that marketing ops is part of that team. Um, and eventually, you know, as revenue operations starts to scale, it's about breaking down silos. So hopefully you'll start to move away from marketing ops and sales ops and CS ops and more to a, you know, a, a horizontal organization mm -hmm. that supports all of revenue, you know, enablement, tools, you know, uh, strategy, reporting, whatever those those different pillars are, and start to be more horizontal, supporting really the end to end. Um, but, you know, having said that, I'm big on, you know, it's about alignment and rigor. So re regardless of where marketing ops reports, you're still going to have to have that partnership, right? Mm -hmm. You're still gonna have that collaboration, you still have to have that alignment. Um, but I think more and more teams are moving towards that um, overall, you know, integrated structure, which really helps to drive that alignment. And it helps the team feel like they belong. And you'll mm -hmm. be surprised, um, you know, when you're in ops, in an operational role, there's, I always talk about ops therapy, but it's very therapeutic to talk to other operations leaders, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and people speak your language. Absolutely, completely agree. I mean, like even just like sitting on these, um, and I straddle like marketing ops and demand gen sometimes. And so mm -hmm. like sitting and having these conversations, like it is so incredibly therapeutic. And I see <laughs> in the chat sometimes too, people are just like, oh yes, please. Like this is my life, see it again. Um, so that's one reason I love our series. Um, so when you're thinking about this operational structure and like breaking down these silos, like all very important. Um, I do sometimes feel like there's a little bit of ego still involved though, like at the leadership level. Like if you, like you want your marketing ops team to report to you because that only, that benefits you, right? Like yeah. you, they have more purview into like what you're doing and can help you, um, you know, achieve your goals, I guess, faster um, and sort of like be on your team. But when we're breaking down those silos, we have to kind of like let go of some of that control and build a lot more trust and figure out how to do that collaboratively instead of saying, no, I want this person on my team because it's going to benefit me and my team only. Um, so what do you tell like, you know, CMOs, other leaders who are worried about like may agree with this, but are worried about losing that control? 
Oh, that's such a great question because literally like sometimes that's real time, right? That's real life situations. And I'm sure there are people, you know, potentially listening that are exactly in that uh, role today um, because marketing ops has traditionally rolled up into the CMO, right? And as you mentioned, a lot of times sitting in demand gen. Um, so it it is about getting folks comfortable with the fact that, hey, we are a service, like we support the organization, if, you know, we are always going to be aligned, right? And that's part of RevOps, right? Is that alignment again, is really aligned to their goals. So when I sit down and talk to our, our CMO or, you know, prior CMOs, we talk about, okay, your goals are my goals, right? Part of my goals are your goals. We all have to be linked and aligned on what we're trying to achieve. And those goals and metrics, just like in any other company are going to be, you know, CMO's goals roll down to me and then my goals roll down to the team. You know, we sort of have that cascading so that we have that alignment throughout the organization. And that should happen regardless of where marketing ops sits, right? Regardless of even if marketing ops doesn't report into me, for example, I'm still going to have goals that tie to the CMO. And I think it's it's a really, I think it's really helping them understand sort of the value um, of what we do and sort of the intent. And to your point, even when they do understand that and they say, yes, yes, and they're nodding their head, they're still like, yeah, but what does it really mean to me? You know, and, and that's human nature. But I guess the funny one for me is just because I think being in an operations role for so long, I'm accustomed to having to collaborate with and you're going to really influence others who don't report to me, right? You work with finance, you work with product, you work with all these other teams and even salespeople, right? They don't report to you. You're within the same organization, but your, your um, strength is around influencing and bringing people together and, you know, having that sort of indirect um indirect reporting structure. And so that's why it's always kind of mind boggling a little bit for me. Like, why do you not understand this? You know, when I have these conversations, but I think it's just a historical, you know, folks are used to having it roll up a certain way and just making sure that, um, you know, they're comfortable and be able to see, start to see the value. I mean, I think with anything, um, especially operations is we have small wins, we start to win, demonstrate what the value is, and then we can build off of that and build momentum there. Uh, but definitely, definitely a, a valid question and a real, a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. And something you said, I, I think kind of like struck a chord with me is when, um, when you're in these roles, like sales ops, any ops role, really, mm -hmm. like you have that, um, you have to look at the entire organization holistically. Yep. And I do think that that is why we are seeing this evolution of like, ops, um, you know, individual contributors kind of moving into these leadership roles is because they have that experience, they have that mm -hmm. purview, they're looking at things from um, outside of silos and really like operationally from how to move the business from here to there versus like my, you know, three KPIs. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that's how we're seeing or why we're seeing a lot of like, or and saying like the next CMOs are coming from operations roles for that mm -hmm. reason. Interesting. Yeah. And I think um, because in a lot of organizations, they're the CRO, like we're seeing more of the chief revenue officer role, but but similar to the RevOps role, it's still evolving, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're seeing CROs who really own sales and post-sales and they still mm -hmm. don't own marketing, right? They're partnering with the CMO. Um, and so I think with that alignment is sort of the same 
perception around, hey, marketing ops doesn't necessarily belong in rev ops. But at the end of the day, like I said, even if people aren't reporting into a certain organization, you still have to, it's more importantly, right, is the alignment and the partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, you mentioned perceptions. I want to talk about some um, perceptions that you like want to smash when it comes to <laughs> because I know there are many like between marketing uh, and web ops, like so many operations roles. Yes, it's like I feel like because you're behind the curtain, or it seems that way, like people are aren't really sure what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of these perceptions that you're like, I need to set the record straight on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could probably have spend a whole hour talking about this part. But I think, you know, the biggest thing for me, I think is that, well, two things, I think one is that RevOps and operations in general is not just about tech stack, right? We don't just manage the CRM, we don't just manage Marketo or marketing automation. Um, and so it's not just about the tech stack. And it's not even just about the data, a data, the data and insights is a big part of it. And it's part of the value that we drive uh, by providing better insights. But RevOps is not the equivalent of data or tech stack. Um, the other thing I think is that um, RevOps, you know, and I talk about this a lot, is a, that it's not a tactical function. I mean, yes, there are tactical aspects of it, but the real value that operations brings is sort of that chief of staff things we were talking about earlier. It's really about um, bringing sort of that strategic lens by coupling the tactical things that we do and, you know, the systems, processes, and data and um, the people that we take care of and manage, but bubbling that, coupling that with sort of the strategy and where we're trying to go and being able to provide those insights and leadership and being that thought partner. And I think that's where the real value of RevOps is. Um, so I'm going to say that one more time is that it is definitely, there's lots of tactical things that we do, but the real value is that strategic differentiator. And, you know, I think, um, last year, you know, with COVID and the pandemic and all these companies that, you know, we all went out in January with our growth plans and SKO, you know, kickoffs and all these things we're going to do. And all of a sudden in February, March, you know, COVID hit and everything shifted, right? So everyone was redoing their operating plan. They potentially were changing headcount plans, changing quotas, changing comp structures, you know, even changing their whole go-to-market motion to focus on, you know, depending on what their business was. And I think those companies that had a stronger RevOps foundation were the ones that were going to be quicker to pivot because they were able to have those insights and say, hey, what should I be looking at? And they were able to actually execute upon the changes, not only make decisions quickly on what they wanted to do, but now be able to flow that through the organization and actually be literally operationalize it and begin to execute. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're also seeing this huge interest and rise in revenue operations is because companies are realizing, hey, that is that can be a strategic differentiator. Yeah, completely agree. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying about RevOps is not the equivalent of data and tech stack. Anybody can have data, anybody can have a great Mm -hmm. tech stack, but when it comes to pulling out the insights and being able to make those pivots, as you mentioned, you've got to have a solid team that's focused on building those strategic relationships and and moving the business. Um, Any other perceptions you want to tap into? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do think that, you know, because we talk about, you know, revenue operations really driving alignment, right, enabling everything around sort of the revenue process that, you know, I don't know if this is a misconception, but I think it's more about just understanding that we're 
our goal is to really make sure that everyone's on the same page, right? That everyone is looking at the business through sort of that single point of view and the same, you know, looking at the data the same way. People, when they talk about, you know, certain metrics, even like when we talk about, for example, pipeline, right? So you say pipeline and it could mean something totally different to different people. And so having that rigor again around um, what does everything mean? What is the data, you know, what's the data mean? What are the metrics that matter that we want to measure? And how do we go about measuring those and the frequency and sort of that operating cadence that we were talking about earlier, all of those things will lend itself to having a better view of the business and having that view aligned across everyone, you know, kind of beating to the same drum if I will. And I have this, I was actually sharing this image earlier today is around, you know, everybody sort of in their own boat and kind of floating and paddling and everything's working really well. Everyone's, you know, doing their role. But then I showed a picture of everybody in the boat, kind of in the canoe together and everyone's rowing together. And of course, RevOps is in the front, you know, kind of <laughs> guiding everybody. But I think, you know, you think about if everyone, instead of all these small ships or small boats moving in, you know, all moving in the same direction, but think about getting everybody on the same ship and everyone powering that engine and going mm -hmm. in that direction. Then you could think about the efficiencies and just the optimization that it drives. Love it. Yes, and Anthony in the chat with the hashtag operational efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> um, I'm going to get to a few questions that we have that I feel like are kind of relevant for our discussion right now. Um, the first one is what I love this question. What is the difference between sales ops and marketing ops? Um, I was under the impression they were both, they both work together, which yeah. I think they do, but yeah, um, so. but yeah, if you could differentiate, that would be, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like where we're trying to move is everything is just revenue operations, right? It's ops that supports the overall revenue process. But I think in a lot of companies, um, probably because of the way the, either the org structure is or the tech stack resides or just sometimes it's just knowledge and expertise um, that it ends up being where marketing ops is really the folks that are supporting your marketing organization right demand gen pipeline you know content um, events you know all of that sort of field marketing and anything related to marketing um, and then sales ops is sort of supporting you know if you think about marketing sort of as you move through the funnel right marketing sort of that top of funnel support and then sales ops sort of once things become an opportunity you know leads get converted then they're sort of guiding the rest of the operations and supporting from you know the start of an opportunity to closing an opportunity, right? And that means, you know, sales motions and sales stages and forecasting and, you know, deals desk and sales compensation and all those analytics and things that kind of belong in that bucket. Um, so if you think about, you know, in that sort of siloed world, it's marketing ops supporting marketing and sales ops supporting sales and oftentimes post sales as well. Mm -hmm. That was a really great definition. Thank you. Um, okay, so here's another question that we have. When looking under the hood, what basic infrastructure tech stack do you need to do your job effectively? So thinking about data, reporting analytics, et cetera. Yeah, I think um, this answer is always a good one. I mean, this question is always a good one because there's never a one size fits all. Um, and depending on sort of your size and stage of company, um, even the same company can need different you know, need different technology depending on where you're at in your sort of your stage of growth. Um, what I would say kind of universally around tech stack is around thinking about what your process is and where your biggest gaps are. And when you think about your process, think about where you need to automate, where, where 
I guess, where a technology will help to enable your process to be more effective. I think a lot of people make the mistake of just buying technology to buy technology, right? They say, oh, I have a, a lead routing problem, so I need a lead routing tool, and they buy it. And, and, and then they end up not using it or not optimizing it because they don't have a process around it. So I always think process comes first. You think about your process, think about your use cases and challenges of what you're trying to solve, and then look at the technology on how that can help enable better efficiencies and better adoption and sort of better rigor um, by having a system. Um, the challenge with the systems also today is that everything needs to, you know, everything's integrated, which is great. It's on one hand, it's like, oh, it's great. We don't have these, you know, handoffs and silos between the systems. The bad news is that you have to make sure everything's talking to each other and everything is connected um, because you want to optimize the tech stack versus, you know, take extracting information from one system, loading it into another, extracting and not having those talk to each other. Um, but I do think, you know, the data, I think you mentioned the data and the reporting piece is having the right data is first, right? Obviously, it's foundational is having the, the right data and the right information um, and then figuring out what um, what technology you need to bubble up that data in a way that uh, makes sense for your business. And so what would you just to kind of spin off on this question, what would you recommend to people that are like stuck at that first stage of like having the right data? Because I know there's a lot of folks that want to skip yeah. ahead to yeah. like all of these <laughs> other steps, but they're really stuck on the having the right data portion. Um, yeah. So like, what would be your advice for people that are stuck there? How do they get out of that? Yeah, yeah. So that's like every company, right? <laughs> that You join. It's like, I think every company will say, I don't Well. I'm not gonna say every company, but I will say most companies are going to say that their data can at least be better, right? Even if it's it might be good or great or even you know best in class, it can always be better, right? And that means that have more comprehensive data in the hands of the right people faster, right? Because I think that's sort of your data, you know, I talk about data utopia, right? So where we want all want to be is having the right data at the right time available to the right people, um, but keeping that. Um, data updated is also very difficult. So um, I guess taking the scenario that you walk in and you're, hey, your data is not great. It needs to be cleansed. Um, my approach is obviously first and foremost is you want to kind of stop the stop the influx or the bleeding, if you will, of bad data coming in. And that's through process and rigor, right? And making sure that people understand um, what the data means, what you're trying to get to um, and why it's important. And then so you kind of establish some of those processes. So you can stop the bleeding, then you can kind of figure out, okay, now I can do the cleanup of the existing data and then sort of the go forward, what does that look like? Um, but what I re would recommend always, and this seems really basic and it probably is very basic, but a lot of companies don't do it, a lot of people don't do it, is a data dictionary, right? And having sort of a data strategy if you will, like take a step back and say, what is my overall data strategy? What does my data need to look like? What are the key um, data points that I need in order to run my business, right? The things that feed into the metrics that matter. And then have a data dictionary where, hey, when we talk about pipeline, what does that mean? If we talk about ACV and, you know, SaaS world or they are, you know, what does that mean? What does churn mean to us? And having everybody aligned to say, oh, okay, look at that. That's what that means. And then why it's important and where it's being used. Um, so I think a lot of times it's, it's taking that step back and, and it takes time and it takes a lot of energy, but the payoff and the value that you have in having good quality data is huge. Because think about the 
think about the cycles you'll spend on trying to fix bad data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great, great tips there. I, yeah, I love um, the data dictionary. I think that's super yeah. smart. Just having and beyond data too, right? Like we have so many acronyms and so many definitions that yeah. <laughs> different people. And um, like when you're coming into a new organization, it's important to understand what those definitions mean to the organization exactly. and to certain teams. Um, and, and making sure that you communicate that out to everybody so they know what they're looking at. Um, yeah. And I think that's yeah, just even having a, a sheet of just all the terms like you were saying and just what does it mean? And then why does it matter, right? I think those are really important because the why does it matter helps you feed into the process on why you need to have this data. You know, if it's an input from somebody like a sales rep, then they can understand like how this is going to be used. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I loved your point about um, identifying like what is the right data? Like what do you actually need mm -hmm. to have a successful, you know, movement through the funnel? Because I think a lot of people are actually surprised that it's a lot less than you think. Yes. And if you just mm -hmm. spend time to really identify like, and this really goes back to like your ideal customer profile at the end of the day, like what are the, what are those attributes? Um, and you can look to find them in many different ways, like using your data, but what are those attributes that are necessary and important to, mm -hmm. you know, push people through the funnel. Um, and again, like this informs your, form strategy and like so many different things. Like we still see people um, with forms that ask a bajillion questions. And it, when I see that, I'm like, do you really need this information? <laughs> yeah. What is that going to do for you if I give this to you today? Right. Um, and I always think that's interesting when I see forms and I'm like, I, I usually can say, yep, I understand why you're asking this question. But if you have a um, somebody coming to your form and they're like, I don't know why you need this from me. It's probably a good sign that you should take it off for me. You don't need it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because I think also, you know what, even for us as consumers, right, if we see a form and we're trying to get a piece of content and mm -hmm. there's a gate and we're filling it out and it's like 10 fields, you're probably just going to say, forget it. I'm not going to fill it out. Or you're just going to put a bunch of garbage data in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting to the right data that you really need and understanding what you're going to do with the data and actually use the data to, you know, inform the business is really important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, okay, so we have a few more minutes and then we'll wrap up. But there's another question. And this this question actually ties into the last question that I was going to ask you. Okay. Um, oh, we have another two more questions. Exciting. So I'm going to start with the one that actually just came in. Um, when going to your CFO or CRO to request an investment for a specific team, like tools or hiring, how do you go about that? What's your approach? Yep. Yep. That's a great question. Um, so I think similar to even how we drive adoption in the organization is around demonstrating value, right? Um, I think helping to understand what you know, the reason for or the justification, kind of the business case for what you need, whether it's a te technology or an extra person and helping to sort of say, hey, with this um, ask, this is the benefit, right? And really demonstrating and try to, you know, sometimes it's hard to quantify, especially for operations around dollars. But if you think about, you know, if I have this headcount that can contribute 40 hours a week to do these things, this is the impact it's going to have on the business. It may be that it's just going to free up 
other resources to do other things. It may be that it's going to provide more information earlier and more accurately. Um, but whatever those reasons are, you know, I build out sort of that justification in that business case. And same thing with um, technology, right? Technology is something that, like I said, I don't buy tools just to buy tools. I think that there's often too many tools, which, you know, then leads into you need more headcount to support those tools. Um, but, you know, really looking to optimize those tools. So before, you know, supporting a technology ask, when I go to finance or I go to, you know, uh, my my manager who's the president is around, why do we need this? You know, what is it, what are you gonna actually use with this technology? Why do we, you know, what's the gap? Like, why do we need it? Um, like kind of what's missing in the business, I guess, that we would need this technology to demonstrate that, the, hey, we don't have anything that can do this today. And here's what this is going to uh, provide to us. So I guess, I mean, long, long answer short, it's just, uh, it's really demonstrating the value of what you're bringing and how it's going to impact the business, you know, and to the extent that you can correlate that to dollars or time is always going to be, you know, just like in the selling motion, we sell to your customers, right? When you can prove the ROI around either dollars or saving time or expediting revenue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So always try to tie back to those things. Yes. Yes. I always um, get on my soapbox about how people care about usually money and time and yep. there's usually it's usually spectrum money for what time for what like if you can understand those things you have so much power <laughs> <laughs> that's right because there's never enough of either one <laughs> there's never enough of either one i think um i saw this is random share but i saw on twitter like elon musk tweeted the other day because i say this all the time i'm like it's money or time uh -huh. and he was like um i think he was like time is the only currency that matters um, mm. which I don't, it might be a hot take. I don't love Elon Musk as a human, but, um, I don't think he's wrong there. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. Thank you for the support with the laugh emoji. I was kind of scared to admit that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I guess, you know, money may not be as important to him, you know, when you, you know, when you have a lot of it, it may be less important, right? And yeah, to, yeah. The, the spectrum and different points in your life and different points in your business, mm -hmm. right? Time may be more important than money. But yeah, yeah. And if, if you can ever tie it back to saving time or saving money, it's, you know, that's how you, that's how you want to tie your asks to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about like career development, um, moving up the ladder, personal development, mm. being a mom, these things like just life. Um, and there's a <laughs> question. I know we talked a lot about that the other day. Yeah. Um, and this question kind of is a good segue into that. So okay. what's your advice for somebody new to the operation side of things? And what did you wish you knew beforehand? Yeah. Um, so good question. Um, advice for somebody new in operations is to, Oh, there's so much in operations to learn and so much to do. But I guess if I had to give sort of one piece of advice, I would say to don't be afraid to learn from others. Um, this is something that for me, when I started out, there just weren't a lot of people in my role. Right. Um, and so there weren't a lot of places to go, resources, you know, books to read, content to look at. There wasn't this broad, you know, Google and Internet and all that. I mean, literally, I, I had dial up when I first started right out in the kind of in my my career. So, um, you know, Internet wasn't even a thing. And so I would just 
recommend for anybody starting an ops is to learn from others. I think you'll be really surprised um, how often others are willing to give you 20 minutes, 30 minutes to learn and have a conversation. You know, look for people who are sort of in your, either in your role today or in a role where you aspire to be or areas that you want to learn. And reach out and try to, you know, learn from them. And it doesn't have to be people in operations because you can also learn from finance and learn more about planning. Maybe you want to reach out to IT and learn more about, you know, technology and systems and how to think about some of that or some of those more technical things. But there's other um, opportunities to learn from, you know, reach out to your CMO or your CRO and say, hey, tell me about your career journey and kind of learn from them. And the nice thing that today is that there is a lot of content. There's a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of webinars, there's even events like this, you know, episodes that you can actually learn from others and take the pieces that, you know, that work for you, right? Because it's not going to be a one size fits all, but take the things that work for you at this point in your career. And just don't be afraid to ask for help. Because I think a lot of times you'll be super, super surprised how willing people are um, just to take time out to speak with you. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Um, and one that like, we're all still learning to do, right? Ask for yeah. help in all areas of our life. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, I have one more question for you. And we talked a lot about just kind of like being women in this industry, women of color at that and being moms, like there's so many different layers for <laughs> everybody, but like women, especially. Um, so like, what's your advice for women that are really looking to elevate their career and continue to move up the ladder? And I asked this question because you asked this question <laughs> on your podcast. That's and I, right. like, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think this is a really good one. And you know, as I kind of alluded to when I started out, there weren't there weren't a lot of, you know, operations people to begin with. And there certainly weren't a lot of women. Right. So there were a lot of times I, you know, we think about the sort of the funnel, right? At kind of the top of the funnel around all the people. And, you know, I think about there's there weren't that many women. There certainly weren't that many sort of minorities or women of color. And then a lot of times I'm sitting in the room and I'm the only working mom, right? And so this funnel kind of gets smaller and smaller of the people that are very, uh, that are in your same situation. So I think for, um, I guess if I had to give like one piece of advice um, for women sort of wanting to elevate themselves, I would say, um, I think I would just say like to, to really know your worth um, and to know that you add value, right? There is always value, whether you are early in your career, you're, you know, a year or two years of experience, or you're like me and an old person and then 20 years of experience, you have something to add, right? I think you have something to add. There's always value. Um, and similar to sort of that asking for help and being surprised how helpful people are. I think you'll also be on the flip side being surprised that when you do share your opinions or um, share some of that knowledge, you'll be surprised that it will actually help someone on the other side. Um, I think there's a lot of value that everyone can bring. Um, and it's and it's always interesting because even if you're early in your career, you bring new perspectives, right? And don't be, so my, my thing, I guess, is just to know your worth. Don't be afraid to share your opinions and make sure you find your voice and be able to share. Um, yeah, I think it's funny because a lot of people ask me that. It's like, well, how do I find my voice? And I guess I, I don't know if I, and, and I don't know if you had the same situation, but I don't, 
I've never really thought about it that way until later in my career. Like really literally, I would say the last couple of years when more and more people ask me about it, I'm like, what do you mean by find your voice? I'm like always <laughs> sharing my opinions, probably too much, maybe a little too outspoken. But I think that a lot of times it's for me, it's been a driving factor. And I know you have a young son too, but for me, it was a driving factor when I had kids. And being that mom, you're an advocate for your children. So then you become this advocate at work, right? You're an advocate for your team. You're an advocate for operations. You're even, you know, an advocate for revenue at the end of the day, right? We're trying to drive more revenue. So making sure that you sort of find your voice, uh, know that you add value and don't be afraid to share. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's yeah. Amazing advice. I know there's so many, um, everybody and women, especially out there that need to hear that. And, um, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think part of it too is it's it's all about fear, right? Like fear of judgment. Yeah. Um, like when you especially think about authenticity and like finding your voice, like it's really about learning how to overcome the fear of judgment from others because that will then enable you. Um, it's not finding your voice, it's there. It's always better. Yeah, just, yeah, like, just use your box. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I've learned so much from you. I feel like I've known you forever, even though <laughs> we've only had like these two conversations, but I appreciate you as I know our audience does. And thank, um, you. thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And definitely if anybody has follow-up questions, they can always feel free to, to reach out to me. I'm always happy to help. Yes. And as everyone knows, if you're not familiar with Rosalind, she is on LinkedIn and um, has a lot of amazing posts and, and shares great insights there. So be sure to follow her um, and join us next week. We have Brittany Young. I'm really excited to have Brittany on next week uh, from McKesson uh, again, Thursday at 11 a.m. And that will be another great conversation that um, probably our VP of marketing will be running. So Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday, a good weekend. And Rosalind, thank you again so much for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye, everyone.